listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Podcasts about living with more joy, grace, and zip. Being more in your true, authentic self, having more energy, and feeling good physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We also strive to be entertaining as well as educational. We'll be interviewing experts in the field of health and well being, sharing with you our knowledge and experience to help you. Eat better, feel better, do better, and have a more positive outlook on life. Sounded good to be true? Maybe possible? Well then, you're in the right place. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Janine, my podcast about living with more joy, being healthier, becoming your true self, and doing great things in the world. I'm your host or hostess, Janine Strong, and this is episode one. Joining me today is Brendan Murray Nellis, my co-host on this adventure. He has a very busy practice as an acupuncturist, so I really am honored that he's able to carve out some time. Thanks, Janine. In this episode, we are going to set the stage and share who we are, something about our journeys, and our purpose for creating this podcast. So how about we get right to it. Okay, Brandon, how about telling our listeners a little bit about your journey and why you're an acupuncturist, how you got to this place? Well, I mean, I think that it's really difficult to mark a period of time of where the journey begins. And I think that that's always hard uh, when you feel like you're on a very long journey, I guess. But I, I tend to go back to a couple things. One is sort of how I grew up. Uh, I grew up very off the grid. Well, we actually had some electricity, mostly went to the barn, but um, mostly off the grid, but definitely off the grid in terms of being not really all that connected to uh, the cities and cultures and things. Very, very far out in the woods and living a very simple rural life. And then I also think about starting later in life where I'd been living in New Orleans and uh, experienced what it was like to see a whole city being in a state of destruction after Hurricane Katrina and wanting to do something tangible and, and, uh, so something that I could actually do on, on my own to help the world and help the people around me that didn't rely on institutions and large um, uh, go- government bodies and things like that, but something I could do with my own two hands. So those are the kind of places I like to begin. So were you in New Orleans at the time of Katrina? Uh, no, I wasn't. But it was the aftermath that you were there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, had a, I had a home there. Uh, a friend and, and I who had been uh, traveling and working on a, a show together, we were performers and we, we had a, we had a little house there and I had left for the, for the, the summer and I was planning on coming back. But when I was coming back, just before I was coming back, there was a giant hurricane. So I did go back to my house and found it just totally destroyed. There was no roof there. We had had flood damage up to, about, uh, I guess maybe about eight feet off the ground there, eight or nine feet. But it was the rain damage and the wind that really took care of it. Wow. 
How did yeah. that affect you? Well, you know, I had been living in the U.S. for a while, which compared to here in Canada, there's there's not much safety net in the U.S. in general. Oftentimes what people do is they create a safety net of friends and relationships and just having stability and all of those small businesses and those things you rely on, like you don't even think about, like traffic lights and uh, whether or not there's water coming into your building. Um, all those things weren't, weren't working really anymore. So it really, and, and a lot of friends were, were going through really hard times. I mean, obviously with a lot of loss and, um, and everyone was stretched thin in terms of money and in terms of any kind of resource that people had was really, uh, stressed. And so it was, it was really difficult to function. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember what you asked me now, but you know, it is, it's very, um, it's very interesting to see what happens when you take away all the resources and all of the sort of normal functioning of a city and then kind of just leave the, the, the shell there in a sense and seeing how people survive within that, that shell. It was very beautiful. A lot of people came together and helped each other out and actually built better friendships in a lot of ways. But it was also you realized that you couldn't rely on a lot of the things that people pay taxes for, right? So you couldn't rely on hospitals. You couldn't rely on police. The um, m military police were actually patrolling the streets at that time. Uh, they were, uh, I don't know if they were Marines or what. They, they'd been soldiers that their, their only other option was going to Iraq or Afghanistan. So you had these soldiers uh, patrolling the streets with great big grins on their faces, even if they were responding to something awful, they were very happy and much easier to deal with than the local police was before Katrina. I mean, with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything now, there's a lot of things that are exposed, but there, you know, back then there was a lot of sort of overt racism from the police force in New Orleans um, that was, you know, had no uh, checks or ba balances to it. So it was very blatant. So it sounds like your experience in New Orleans has helped shape who you are today and yeah. and what you've decided to do as your vocation, acupuncture, Chinese traditional medicine. Yeah. I had a friend down there who was doing uh, ear acupuncture for trauma and addiction uh, who kind of planted the seed in my mind. I was like, oh, yeah, there are these other these other ways of of approaching a problem. You don't have to just, you know, I don't know. There the fact that there was there was other people, you know, offering things and it was I think she was offering it for free at the time, but it was just a very simple ear acupuncture treatment. You know, it really really the main thing was that it made me realize that I wanted to if I was going to engage um, on a journey of, of helping people heal or helping people in general, wanting to be of service to the world, I had to do something that, first of all, I felt good about. And also, I wanted to do something that didn't rely on everything in society functioning. Because my perspective on the world is such that I don't think that the regular sort of status quo um, Western world modern life is necessarily sustainable 
And um, even if that just means we have power outages once in a while as we transition to clean and renewable energy, or if it means, you know, terrible things that I don't want to wish onto the world, that um, there's going to be interruption. And I think that as we move forward, we have to accept there's going to be giant storms on our coast. There's going to be, there's going to, there's, there is already uh, plenty of things that are happening. You know, you look at uh, what's going on in Syria and think if you were in the crowd of people in Syria having to flee and you had uh, a set of skills where you could help everyone around you as you're fleeing without, without having to, you know, stop and get accreditation from some place and you know have to have x y or z equipment if you if you need to take blood tests to figure out whether or not someone is an, an, an anemic um that that's that's great if you have the capacity to do blood tests but if you can determine that or guess make it a very very educated guess maybe not diagnose but pretty much determine what, what someone has, uh, what someone's suffering from through touching their, their wrists and taking their pulse and asking a couple key questions and looking at their tongue. Well, that's much more useful in the context of uh, where society is in flux. And so that's kind of how I was, how I started to engage with the process of entering Chinese medicine. Interesting. So, yeah. so- that makes complete sense to me, by the way. Chiropractic, though, doesn't really need um, outside. I'm just curious as to lots of other ways of doing things. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying Chinese medicine is the only, uh, the only way. That's what I was alluding to was narrowing how you how you chose acupuncture as opposed to some of the other alternative methods that you could have chosen. Yeah. I think it was through through experience, like because of experiencing acupuncture for me was a, a very powerful, powerful journey for me. And uh, I think for me, because there is a strong tradition in Chinese medicine of using herbs as well, that's very appealing to me because it's one thing to be um, to get a treatment from a practitioner. But if that practitioner can also suggest to you, you know, ways that you can improve your life that are within your own control, I think that's very powerful. And for me also, I just, I, as a child growing up, currently do as well, spend a lot of time out in nature, in the forest, interacting with plants around me and wanted to kind of, even though uh, a lot of those plants aren't in the pharmacopoeia of Chinese medicine, it's still to start thinking in terms of how to use them with the, the diagnostic skills of Chinese medicine becomes extremely powerful. And really that's, that's the powerful, the, the, even though, yes, I do like, you know, acupuncture needles. I like receiving them. I think, you know, doing that to other people is very powerful, but ultimately it's the diagnostics that's really, that are really strong in Chinese medicine because they've been going back trial and error for, you know, at least a couple thousand years, probably more like three to five. But there's, you know, there's such a long tradition and evolution that happened. And then you look at chiropractic work or osteopaths or other kinds of practitioners that don't rely on that institution. A lot of those um, systems are very modern. They're very new and very new and modern, meaning 200 years old, tops. 
and if you look at how how much can be learned uh, over time, 200 years is not very long. And the other thing is, I wish there was a training in North America for this, but right now there there isn't for various reasons. But there's actually a style of treatment in Chinese medicine that is actually very similar to chiropractic work. It hasn't been regulated appropriately in North America yet, but it's something they, they do in China. I mean, there's it, the whole point of it for me is that it's not it's not um, people think of acupuncture, but it's really qigong, tuina, massage, herbalism, moxibustion, and acupuncture. And those are all there's there's the five br- branches of Chinese medicine. And there's also like modern additions. You know, there's laser acupuncture. There's there's all there's all sorts of t- techniques and things we can use. But really, it's the diagnostic system for me. So, yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you. That was very enlightening for me. When I approached you about co-hosting this podcast with me, what inspired you to say yes? Um, I just like talking, I think. Pretty sure that's the answer. Did I get it right? Uh, That was a surprise (laughs) to me. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I have a background. I used to perform a lot. I did a lot of theater. Yeah, when I was younger, and I can—I don't know—I I can be kind of a ham, I guess. And I think doing uh, doing a podcast kind of fulfills that part of my whatever my ego or whatever that I crave to be kind of on stage a little bit. But I think it's it's also a good way to reach out and to actually remove me from the clinic room and kind of allow me to use some of the same same techniques or the same philosophy that's that underlies what I do as a way to engage with the rest of the world. Right. So I'm, I'm someone who's extremely concerned about social issues and policy. I've, I've done a lot of activism. I don't really feel like that activism did anything for the most part. It maybe raised some awareness and maybe, you know, made me a very stubborn person, but it, it didn't, uh, nothing that I did directly change the world. Right. Indirectly, sure, but um, I think that engaging with uh, spreading information is always going to be very powerful, especially in this era. So. I agree completely. I mean, my my sense of doing this is to f- find another way to be of service and get information out to people who may not have access. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. I love researching. You have a lot of knowledge and My thought, my hope, is that between the two of us and people we interview who have lots of expertise, um, that we can help people to live more enjoyable, healthy lives and really help them to just blossom into who they came here to be. There's so much exciting new technology, new ideas um, out there that, you know, are. I feel like we're in a, a period of time right now where we have such potential for things to explode and really become like a really beautiful, hopeful uh, place. And because of, of, you know, whether it's uh, certain technologies that'll make our life easier or certain uh, ideas that can expand our minds in different ways or different treatment styles or different interesting thinkers, there's so much going on, but we're surrounded by negative media, such like, I don't want to feel like I'm, downtrodden and struggling day to day 
that's what I'm, that, that's the information that surrounds us. That's our media context for the most part. I mean, there are other, lots of other people out there expressing all, all sorts of wonderful things, but you have to really dig for it sometimes. And I think we're on the verge of being able to live much healthier for much longer and with much more sense of, of, of ease in everyday life and, you know, access to so much right now. And I hope we can kind of keep that going forward in such a good way, right? And so I'm really excited to be part of this and hear your ideas uh, and hear other people's ideas and interviewing people um, that really are bringing a lot to the table and just, ha- you know, having a space to explore that is wonderful. I think podcasting is, it's such an awesome medium. When it came to me to start this podcast, first of all, I thought I was nuts because I the only thing I know about podcasting is that I really enjoy listening to podcasts. <laughs> so uh, I've had to, I've had, it's like a whole new um, arena that I had to learn and am still learning. But I figure that's really causing my brain to grow new neural pathways. So when I first came up with this idea of doing a podcast, should we shift to me now? Let's shift to you. So what, what made you want to uh, start a podcast anyhow? Well, for the last five years, I've been living in a beautiful area, but I've been feeling fairly isolated, which I liked for quite a while. And I also haven't been really feeling that well. I've been feeling pretty exhausted and, to be honest, somewhat depressed because I haven't had much energy. And I've been listening to podcasts and really enjoying listening to podcasts. And one day I was in the shower, and that's where I get a lot of my ideas, by the way. It came to me that I should start a podcast. And I thought, where did that come from? That's crazy. I kept thinking about it and I thought, well, maybe I should because everywhere I go, this is kind of what started it. Because of my, my not feeling well has to do with hypothyroid, low thyroid. And I was reading a book called Stop the Thyroid Madness by Janie Bothorp. And I'm very excited because she's agreed to be interviewed for this podcast. And I realized while I was reading the book that I have been for the last four years on the wrong medication and that that's one of the main reasons I haven't been feeling well. Her book, it just was such an eye opener to me. And even though I've done a ton of research on thyroid and adrenal fatigue, there's just so much information in there. I can't recommend it highly enough. But everywhere I've gone, um, when I've left my isolated little area, I end up talking to people about thyroid, about feeling tired, feeling exhausted, depressed, uh, gaining weight, high cholesterol, going to doctors, and nobody can figure out what it is. People get put on antidepressants, and Hmm. um, it's just I keep hearing story after story. It it made me realize that I need to get information out to people. Yeah, so... You know, I think it was it was interesting that you were bringing that up because I, I've I've been um, seeing a lot of people in my practice now with hypothyroidism. It seems like it's actually 
it's so incredibly common. It's not as if it's, you know, I, I don't have the percentages in front of me of throughout history. Like, you know, sometimes they say 1% of the population or 5% of the population has this disease or that disease. And it seems very common now to have hypothyroidism. A lot of people are saying it might have something to do with the mineral content in our foods and things like that, right? How we have really poor soils now um, compared to in the past. But, that could definitely be a part of it. Yeah, and it's and it's it's under uh, it's underreported. It's there are so many people. My understanding, hundreds of thousands of people walking around with subclinical hypothyroid, and part of it is because the tests that are normally done are just a TSH thyroid stimulating hormone and T4 which is what your thyroid actually produces is T4 and a little bit of T3. But your body actually uses, for its metabolic processes, it uses T3, not T4. And T3 is really what's important, but most doctors don't do the test for T3. And this is what happened to me. I had a thyroid crash in 2001. Um, I was actually hyperthyroid for a month. And then what happened after approximately a month, everything just crashed and I became a slug with cotton candy for a brain. So when this first happened to me, I worked with an endocrinologist and he kept adjusting my thyroid medication, my T4, and T3. And I'll never forget the day that I went into his office and he said, your lab results are normal. And I said, you're kidding. I feel like crap. I don't feel good. My mind doesn't work. I have foggy brain. I'm exhausted all the time. But he is, according to him, I was fine. Now, Thank God he didn't put me on antidepressants because that's what happens a lot. Um, people go into the doctor's office hoping for some assistance, some help to figure out what's wrong with them, and they leave with nothing because only TSH and T4 tests are done and T3 isn't done. Oftentimes, people just deal with it, you know, or don't deal with it. They're just exhausted, they're depressed. They're gaining weight, but you feel like you're crazy because you've been told that everything's normal and there's nothing wrong with you. It's really absurd that that they, I don't know, to shame people is really bizarre that that's part of our, the part of many people's experiences with, with the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. I was mentioning it earlier earlier today to someone who actually came in for hypothyroidism. I, I told them I because I, I don't have hypothyroidism, but I do I do have a uh, gluten intolerance. And when I tested for it, they said I was fine and they said there was nothing wrong with me because I, I was testing to see if I was celiac. Um, but then I, I you know when I, I came in anyways, I wanted to see the test results myself because I have enough knowledge around how blood tests work to, you know, just to see the information. It's it's uh, mine by law, right? It's my my body, and I looked at it, and I was just 
touching the border of someone who who could be celiac, right? I was at the very, very, um, just at the cusp, right? And that, and that I was told that there was nothing wrong with me. I wasn't even told there was nothing wrong with me. I didn't even get a phone call, right? And I think that that is really where some of the shaming or making people feel like they aren't, that like they don't know their own body is really absurd to me. And, you know, from my own experience, it was just, okay, maybe I don't have celiac, but maybe I shouldn't eat gluten anymore because it'll make me feel terrible. And guess what? That, that's what I did. And I feel great. Everyone's experience is so, um, is so important. And to know your own body and to increase your body awareness and knowledge is always good. And it's something that kind of we're, we're told not to do almost and just rely on the blood on the blood work. And half the time, you're right, they don't even test the right substances in your blood. So what, what, what happened after you figured out that there was an imbalance with your T3 as opposed to just having the, the T4 TSH readings? Well, actually, what, uh, what happened was I, I met a medical practitioner from Northern California who specialized in thyroid, just the whole endocrine system. And he had me do all kinds of testing for minerals, uh, let's see, minerals, cortisol, a whole a whole slew of tests. Mm. And my cortisol was way too high. None of my minerals were in the normal range. They were all high or low. I had a toxicity overload, uh, platinum for some reason. And it just went on and on. So I did all kinds of cleansing and detoxifying and building uh, with him. And that did help, but it, it still wasn't quite enough. I have a, a story that matches yours about lab work. Last year, I had a, a, my you know normal lab work done for my physical, and my ferritin, uh, which has to do with your iron levels, was at 19. Now, a normal range is 15 to 240 for this lab work anyway. And it's recommended that women are in the ninth, in the nineties. And I was nineteen, and nothing was ever said to me. Uh, and I, somehow I, I missed it. I, I'm not sure how I missed it. I just didn't look closely enough. But nothing was ever said to me. And then when I had my ferritin levels done again recently, they were down to seventeen. Wow. Now to me, that's pretty darn close to anemic. And the thing is, is that your ferritin levels affect your body's ability to make T3, which it needs for all of its metabolic processes. Hmm. So, you know, there's another, another piece to the puzzle. And it's really, you know, a struggle sometimes when it's kind of a ch chicken or the egg kind of scenario where you're constantly struggling with, with trying to resolve, resolve the, the hypothyroidism when really, okay, well, maybe it's a mineral deficiency, maybe it's a ferritin deficiency. And it's very, I, I find it very easy for people to sort of always bop around from one, one idea to the next. And I, I find myself doing it too sometimes, especially when you're trying to solve someone's, someone's uh, health problem, that, you know, you're, you're trying to find the root of the problem. And the root of the problem isn't always 
what the like how what type of label we have put on us so you know if you're struggling with hypothyroidism that's the that's sort of the the branch or the um the label and really finding what what is the root cause is it ferritin is it um you know is it is it t4 no is it t3 yes well what you know what does the body use to make t3 you can go deeper and deeper and sometimes get a bit lost kind of wandering around in the in the sort of maze of you know what the what their true root cause of something is and hopefully you can you can find out whatever it is and either supplement it or you know eat eat better in that in that range but sometimes it's the body can't absorb the things that you're trying to put in it and so then there, it could be a digestive problem and why is there a digestive problem? You can go on and on and on, right? And so you can enter these loops of thinking, you know, if the digestive problem is there because of your diet, but you have to eat a certain way because of where you live or your income level or your, you know, what you're allergic to or whatever, you know, it's, there's always something. And so I think it's a bit of a maze at times and it's important to to, to try different things, but it's, it's kind of scary. It's a scary experience, right? To, to feel lost in that sometimes. I mean, I see it happen a lot. But. Yeah, it is. And that's why they call the medical, all, all of the medical systems practices. It's a practice yeah. <laughs> because nothing is set in stone. Everybody's different. And sometimes mm -hmm. you have to try different things, uh, before you find what works for someone. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I want to switch gears here a bit and ask you a little bit about your background because ah. you're, you have a whole, I know you have a very wonderful and uh, diverse history. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious to, to hear more about it because I don't really know it all. I mean, I, I know that you were a massage therapist at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. So what, where did you begin with um, your interest in, in health? Okay, so it all started with herbs, somewhat similar to you. Um, I was interested in medicinal herbs early on, probably I'd say in the 70s. Um, we didn't really, in my family, we didn't really have, I'm trying to think if we ever had a garden, a small one, but never, never much. And I've always been interested in organic gardening and good, healthy, nutritious food. I've always been interested in nutrition ever since I can remember. And I studied herbalism with um, Blazing Star Herbal School. This is when I lived in Massachusetts. And I really wanted to do more in the medical field. I wanted to be of service. I wanted to help people. And my background was in modern dance and theater. And I decided that I wanted to go to nursing school. So I had to start over and um, take all my sciences. And I graduated from the University of Massachusetts with a BSN in nursing. While I was doing that, I got a certification in Touch for Health. Um, so that I could teach Touch for Health to people. And I used to teach it as a, uh, for continuing education units to nurses. 
and Touch for Health is a kinesiology for lay people, muscle testing for lay people. And as soon as I graduated from nursing school, I went to massage school and graduated from Still Point Massage School. And the following year, I also taught their nutrition course. And let's see, I have certifications in Shiatsu Massage, in Hypnosis, Timeline Therapy, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uh, Sekim Energy Work, which is a sister to Reiki. What else? I have certification as a life coach and became a transformational life coach. Certification in breath work. Um, I think there's more, but... <laughs> you no, know, it sounds like the list goes on and on. Um, I guess I'm a lifelong learner. I just, you know, I love learning and I love learning new things. And, oh, matrix energetics. That would be the go. last one. I'm a certified matrix energetics practitioner. So, I mean, it sounds like you've you've had a lot of, of training. And so I'm curious what, what you... Like, if you spent a lot of years doing work in a clinical setting or in a, like how, how did you engage with all the, all the knowledge? You know, did you? Well, nursing of course was, you know, I'm not much of an institution person myself. So my dad was an entrepreneur and I guess I have the entrepreneur genes. When I graduated from nursing school, I, the ideal, quote unquote, is to work in a hospital to gain experience for a year before you go off and do something else. I lasted for seven months. That's all I could handle. And then I went, I still continued nursing, but it was uh, what I actually enjoyed. I did psych nursing and I was a visiting nurse for two different agencies. And that I enjoyed because I was out and about. I was uh, working with people in their homes. I felt like I was really doing something to help people stay out of the nursing home, stay out of the hospital, be more independent. I could do a lot of education, which I've always loved. I've done a lot of teaching uh, throughout my life. That's really the only institution uh, that I worked in, in the healthcare field. Everything else has been on my own. Uh, with massage, I had my own practice, Touch for Health, all the other <laughs> things that I've done, coaching um, has all been you know, on my own. Or with a group of people, but not within an institutional setting. It's a very, uh, it's a very isolated space that you know that we we both are from, and I, I find that you know I've I've had to practice in multiple locations and put in a lot of hours in the car to make what I do work, and it's been a real struggle to kind of find my groove within this rural place and I've had a lot of, of wonderful help uh, as well from from other people that I know in healthcare or in uh, alternative healing sort of circles that have helped me kind of get to where I am but it's it's a struggle to to find a way to do what you love out here and very much so yes yeah and so yeah I mean how um, you've been out here for 5 years is that is that right yes Mm -hmm. You're actually even just talking about this is and being on Skype a little bit makes me realize that it would be kind of fun to take a life coaching course. It it really is. I'm I'm so glad I did it. It was something that um, 
I, I'm not sure I was really all that psyched about doing, but uh, my friend Bev, Dr. Beverly Marks-Taub, who's a wonderful therapist, we were taking a lot of seminars together, and um, she really wanted to do this life coaching course, although I didn't feel like she needed it because she has so much experience and training. But um, I'm really glad that I, I did it because you can do it over the phone or over Skype. You don't have to. You don't have to be in the same room with the person. I had clients all over the world, mostly through Centerpoint Research Institute, which was the uh, meditation program, the company that my husband, Bill Harris, owned. and Or he still does. He's not my husband anymore. You know, it's such a wonderful way to connect to people. And that, going back to what you had asked before, I didn't really have much of a plan for moving here. I'm, I'm kind of an in-the-flow person. And uh, I, I mean, I actually have lived off the grid before for a short period oh, of time. Okay. But um, I've never lived in the mountains. And I, I had a very difficult time for a while here being in the mountains. I'm really a water person. I just, I found that the isolation, uh, you know, I just, I need to get myself out there. I need to be of service. One of the things that I didn't mention in my list of things I've done is I started Ravenwood at about 83, and I had Ravenwood for almost 20 years, and that was my aromatherapy company. And one of the reasons I did that was because I wanted, I, I wanted to get yeah. out there aromatherapy products that could really help people and assist people and you know even though I had employees and I was fairly isolated then too not to this extent but it just it it enlivens me when I talk to clients and customers over the phone and vendors and have that kind of connection I haven't done many interviews yet for this podcast but I've talked to to several people who want to be interviewed and I've done an interview already and it just you know even if I'm feeling crummy it, it when I'm done I feel great I feel alive it's like when I used to do massage I I could go into a massage feeling you know kind of tired and feeling like oh I wish this person wouldn't come because I just I need to rest all my thyroid stuff again you know, afterwards, I'd feel great because I've made that connection with someone. I've helped someone. I've been of service. And I was, I've just been feeling like I need to do that again because I don't, it's, there just isn't for me mm. uh, a venue for that here. You're recording that, right? Okay, good. Just yes. making sure. That was wonderful. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's like I, like I was saying before, it's really kind of difficult around here to find that. And so I think that, I mean, it must mean that, I mean, obviously doing a podcast is, is kind of that as well. Like you're, you're pr pr providing a service of sharing information and, and interviewing these wonderful people and introducing them to, to lots of folks. And, um, you know, I think that internet based work is really interesting in that way that it doesn't rely on being right in the, in the hub of, you know, a big city or, in an easy to get to location for people to kind of interact with you. Right. I've needed to do that to be there to gain the experiences yeah. and, and the knowledge that I have, but now I don't have to. And, and I've been very blessed to, to be able to meet and get to know a lot of really amazing people who are, are experts in their field and, 
Um, I'm hoping that uh, quite a few of them will agree to come on the podcast and and spread their knowledge to people who are, are listening. So we are going to be doing this podcast every two weeks. Um, we're going to have a blog, and I've set up a, a Twitter, Real Janine at Twitter or whatever it is, hashtag however that works, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and and an email. I, know, I, know. <laughs> I have a Twitter account now, and I just never use it. That's more than me, so I don't, I don't have a Twitter well, account at all. The other thing is we don't even have cell phone service where I live. So I still have an iPhone 4, if you can believe that. I used to be a real tech geek, and I wanted all the newest stuff, but now I don't really care. I, I don't even know how many they're up to. Are they up to... 10 or 15 now or what? Seven. It's seven. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. So where was I? Just about living out here without cell phones and, and, and being sort of, um, you know, having had that experience of being right in the center of things a certain amount and then coming out of that and being outside of it and how it's kind of a different, different place. It's it's very different, and I was hoping actually that I could set up a practice here when I moved here, but it just it just didn't work out. And also, oh, I'm living on a homestead, so I've got a huge organic gardens. I've got an orchard. I've got chickens and ducks, and and um, my husband Stephen has two boys who live with us on a permanent basis. Um, so there's a lot of work there, but for me, that's not enough. I need to be teaching. I need to be educating people. I need to be out there helping others. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like this is a good, a good way to do that. And, um, you know, maybe you'll start to re-engage with some of the other sort of online work that you've done in the past with life coaching and with different things, because you do have this incredible knowledge base and, um, yeah, it would be good to uh, good to see where this goes. Who knows? Exactly. I, I'm totally in the flow with it. I have no idea where it's going to go. I I'm trying to think if I really have any expectations. I I don't think I do. I, I must though because people always have expectations, but uh, they must be pretty low because I just don't know where it's going to go, and I'm willing to so, be in the flow. For instance, then, if we don't know where it's going, do you think anyone's actually made it through this far on the podcast yet and uh, listened to the, this far in? Uh, well, I don't know. I'll probably be editing it yeah, and, and making it a little shorter. But Of course, but what what do you think? Um, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to, to sort of see see where where we go with it. I'm really excited about definitely taking it outside of just the sort of healing and health realms. Um, I'm I'm all into sort of how we're healing and healing the greater world in a sense. I think is is pretty important for me, like the the health of our culture, the health of our of our society. You know, I'm I'm just excited to see to see what, where we go with it. I am too. I'm very excited. Because at one time it was just an idea, and I love my gadgets. So when I decided to do this, I bought all my recording equipment, and you know I got not top of the line, but you know top midline equipment. <laughs> and um, then I was like, "Wow, I've spent all this money. I got to do this." <laughs> and 
it's probably why I did that to force myself because it would be easy to just back out and go, oh, I'm not going to do it. It's too much work. But I, I really think this is going to be fun. I hope it's fun for our listeners. I, I hope that we really have, it's my intent, mm -hmm. to have valuable information that people can use now, that there are going to be some good takeaways for people and some good ahas. I want to thank Brendan for taking the time to be here and sharing. I learned some great information. I hope you did too. It was fun playing with Brendan and getting to know each other. This was my first crack at interviewing and editing, so this first episode is um, a little rough. I'm getting better and better, so stick around. I'm uploading three initial episodes, so you'll have an opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. After that, a new episode will come out every two weeks. My next guest will be Janie Bothorpe, author of Stop the Thyroid Madness. Be well and be real. That brings us to the end of our show. I hope you found something of value that you can use in your life. Thanks for listening. The Keeping It Real with Janine podcast comes out every two weeks. Questions, comments, or podcast topic ideas? We'd love to hear from you. Email at realjanine at gmail.com or Twitter at realjanine. Remember to spell Janine correctly, J-A-N-E. Check out the show notes, extras, and bonus recipes at our blog, realjanine.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be well.